Hello and welcome to Rewind Reviews, the podcast where we take a look back at films from our childhood. Um, well, childhood, teen years, bit of everything really. Um, this week um, I got to pick and I chose The Truman Show uh, because I'm apologising to Chris for making him watch Joe's Apartment. So I chose a, a film I knew categorically was a good film. Um, mm. uh, if you want to know why Joe's Apartment, the film we, that I'm apologising for is so bad, that episode now available. Do go back. <laughs> Because it is madness. It is, it is bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bad film. Don't watch the film. Just hear it. We'll, we pretty much explain what the film is for context. Yeah, but the trouble is, I'd say watch it. Because you're going to end up wanting to watch As we describe it, you're going to think, this film sounds fucking mental. And you're going to want to watch it. Yeah, so, I guess. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's, it's on sure. YouTube for free. <laughs> so It's on YouTube, but it's like an hour and... Ten minutes, twenty minutes, or yeah, something. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 not good though. I'm warning you now. Um, anyway, uh, this week we take a look at the Truman Show. So, uh, uh, we always start, Chris, with a little bit of history with the film. What you know, mm. what what what's yours? I hinted at some of mine last week, but um, do you want to? I don't know. When when did you first see it? Uh, well, is this a, a big film for you? Do you like this? How, you know, how, I'm not really sure where this ranks in your you know pantheon of like films. Well, of all the films I've ever watched, I'd rank it number. No, I don't, I don't know. But the um, I yeah, I really love it. I've watched it multiple times. Mm. Um, it was a film I kept going back to. Mm. It's kind of a film you you can picture yourself watching it in sort of most places you've lived, sort of thing. I think I did watch it at uni. Would I introduce someone to it? I definitely watched it as a kid. My main like memory, mm. but I don't know the scenario. I I remember vividly either watching it for the first time or suggesting it as a film to watch with my mum and dad or even I think possibly introducing them to it because I thought they'd enjoy it but I also remember like uh, we must have or I must either rented it or borrowed it off someone that you know you know and I don't know whether it was um Maybe Blockbuster did... No, because Blockbuster did the plane sleeve. You know you rented films from somewhere and mm. it was like the extra big VHS cases. No, yeah. The chunkier the chunkier video cases. Where, remember... where, the, where the video was held in place by plastic inside of the larger plastic box. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know, know which video place that was, but a few... I think a couple of them did that, but yeah, that was a... What was that? <laughs> and was I remember... And maybe it often happened where the, you, you actually rented it from like a plain text blockbuster style VHS. But when they then sold the pre-rented videos, you know, at a discount price. So maybe mm-hmm. I, well, maybe I, if I looked, I'd have it or I don't know. But I remember, I remember vividly like holding the chunkier VHS cover. So right. yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a film that I, I kept going back to and really, really loved as a kid, um, yes. and and had a real affinity with. And I think you know it was I was I was always a big TV guy, so the core concept, yes, very much appealed. Um, you know, I liked The Mast, I liked Dumb and Dumber, so Jim Carrey appealed. Um, yeah, I uh, I thought it was great then. And spoilers, I still think it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the I think one of the few movies from my childhood childhood. There aren't many on this list that have been in my top 10 films and never left. Like, mm. there's no way I write a top 10 films. I don't have a top 10 in my mind, by the way. I haven't, like, got that ranking, like, set. But if you were to sit me down in, like, you know, five-year intervals from as a kid to now, 
and asked me to do my top 10 favorite films this would be in that list every time because i've i've loved this film since i was a child and i i, I mean i'll be honest with you the, the only reason i saw this film was my childhood affinity for jim carrey you know um uh, ace ventura the mask dumb and dumber batman forever liar liar you know uh, the second ace ventura not so much even as a kid i recognized that movie was dumb <laughs> but you know i i watched all those movies you know um i was a big fan of his work and i i the minute this movie was available on i remember seeing trailers for the film being excited for it but i didn't see it in the cinemas it's hard to convince your parents to take you to a film um in the cinemas when you know when you're younger and you're a poor working class family and you only get to go mm-hmm. once every now and then it's a treat so i had to wait for this one to hit the vhs and rent it um has to be a film that secretly they don't mind watching as well doesn't it <laughs> Yeah, I, to be honest with you, like my my parents aren't exactly aficionados. I think they found this one a little dull, if I'm honest. Um, when we right. when we finally sat them down and we watched it, uh, they didn't. No, that's it. what I mean. Like, my my mum and dad wouldn't have been. I'd have had to have convinced my mum and dad to see it because they didn't like Jim Carrey. So yeah, yeah well, see, my parents did. kind of uh, like they they kind of enjoyed the juvenile humor of like Ace Ventura. Like they thought it was kind of fun. Right. Like so, when they sat down to watch this, when I convinced them to rent this, you know, within a few minutes they were having a conversation and I was just enraptured. Like it was it didn't mm. take long for them to be bored by this film because I guess mm. I guess and I I think I hinted at this in the in the previous in the previous um podcast when we when we sort of sort of said what we were going to watch next. I do think it's easy to go into this with expectations. And I don't blame anyone for having those expectations and being disappointed, particularly at the time. When you look at the run of films that I just listed that had all come out in the two or three years prior to this, this is a big left turn for Jim Carrey. You know, um, the only other movie you could consider to be in this direction, in the, you know, a very different sort of movie for him is The Cable Guy. But he's still manic in The Cable Guy, even if it is a more adult version of that Jim Carrey manic persona. Um, yeah, this is the first... Because obviously of... this is... Go on, sorry. Because so, this is ages away. For anyone thinking, like, this is ages away from, like, Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Like, that was 2004. This was 1998. So The Cable Guy was 96. So yeah. Cable Guy is the closest. Although I suppose Man on the Moon was... Yeah, Man on the later. Moon is another one where it's like he gets to be manic in places because it's, you know, he's, he's, he's Kaufman. So it's like, you know, it's... Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit trickier, but yeah, I agree. That, that I mean, but he only got to do that, I guess, because he proved he had some serious dramatic jobs here. Because if you look backwards from Truman's Show, it's mostly high energy manic comedy that he was doing. Um, even mm, yeah, his absolutely. his performance as a villain in a Batman movie, The Riddler, was was you know it was the Joel Schumacher sort of campy, very energetic version of Batman and. While I look back at those movies now and think Schumacher might have been ahead of his time a little bit because comic movies just weren't that at the time. You know, it, you know, the Batman movies had sort of been like, this ain't your daddy's Batman, this ain't campy, this is serious and gritty. And, it, and it, the Tim Burton Batman movies always took, almost took themselves too seriously. And now I look back with a little bit more fondness of Schumacher's movies because I go, oh, you know what? He just wanted them to be fun, didn't he? That's... That's not a crime, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they aren't perfect. Don't get me wrong. There's like the back credit card and stuff, which is dumb as shit, but kind of funny. But like, you know, it still was mostly a comedic performance from Carey, particularly yeah, like completely. to the point where famously he did not get on with Tommy Lee Jones at all to the, no, to, to the point, so. where, to the point, And I love this story so much. <laughs> 
when they met in a restaurant, they've been filming and then going their separate ways every day. Like, you know, they would not, you know, they wouldn't talk to each other like outside of the set. They met in a restaurant and uh, Tommy Lee Jones told them he could not endure his buffoonery. (laughs) He just said that. And obviously, it even... Even whilst it was a left term of his turn, obviously cable the cable guy was a manic performance. It yeah, is exactly. like people often talk about ninety four with Jim Carrey because it was Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber. But he had like from ninety four to basically the Truman Show. This was the run: Ace Ventura, one Pet Detective, The Mask, Dumb yeah. and Dumber, Batman Forever, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, The Cable Guy, Liar Liar, The Truman Show. Now, That's regardless ridiculous. of what you think of those films, yeah. they are all iconic and memorable for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost and then after yeah, yeah. after the tr- after the Truman Show is a film called Simon Birch, which I've never heard of. Um, <laughs> oh, I think and, I've seen uh, Simon Birch. I think. Oh. Oh, he's not in that movie a lot. I think that's the movie with a kid in the lead role. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, looking at the poster, I I, I don't think he's in it a lot at all. Um, th- and then I... there's Man on the Moon, and then Me Myself and Irene, which is awful. I I love Me Myself and Irene. I I'm, I'm very fond of Me Myself and Irene. It's that's a that might be a personal <laughs> taste thing. But uh, anyway, watch it. Anyway, yeah. So 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 yeah. For the Truman Show, for me, so I sit down and watch this movie, having only seen those manic Jim Carrey performances, and the fact that I was still enraptured by this film, despite it being so different to what I was expecting when I rented it. And of course, back then, you know, it wasn't trailers and access to what a film was really like in the marketing wasn't as simple as it is these days you know i only got to see i guess tv spots maybe i don't know if i'd saw a full trailer or tv spots or whatever to know this movie existed but either way i didn't have a mass amount of marketing to have already educated me as to what this was and i was really pleasantly surprised and it really captured me and i I, it's one of the first times i think i genuinely sort of appreciated like a film film because like you look at the stuff I was looking at before that it was all like, you know, what's that? I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for. Like they weren't like character based. They were, you know, they weren't artfully done. They weren't interesting. They didn't have interesting themes. You know, a lot of the films I loved for this were sort of like family movies, you know, like even movies like back to the future and star Wars, they have some light themes, but it's kind of like adventure movies, right? They're not, this was the first like film and I'm not explaining myself very well here, but like, it it was the, it felt like the first time I sort of understood what like maybe what, how film could be. I don't think I will have phrased it this way at all, but like I think it's the first time subconsciously I was taking in maybe the art of film and what film can yeah. say and mean. And I'm going to go on a little rant here, not a rant, but I'm going to go on a little thing about this film very briefly before we get into the details because I just want to get this out of the way up top because my overwhelming response to rewatching it was how incredible the foresight and commentary of this film is because mm, i've watched absolutely. this every couple of years without question but i haven't ever really sat down and watched it with like the critical eye open as we do for a podcast like this where i'm actually yeah. going let me think this i'm not just going to put this on to enjoy it i'm going to actually think about the film as i'm watching it what is it saying what does it mean what's it getting at like is it you know how's it constructed so i've you know tried to break the film down as i watched it as we always do on these um for good or for better or for worse and trying to break down joe's apartment was <laughs> was a was like opening a doorway into madness itself but <laughs> but sitting down to watch this again with that eye open for maybe the first time ever like consciously anyway um i, I obviously you always get this stuff subconsciously but to actually think about it 
What struck me was that when I was younger, I thought there was a simple message in this film of a cautionary tale about taking things too far with putting yourself out there through reality TV, debasing yourself through reality TV. Big Brother hadn't happened yet when The Truman Show aired, but it did a few years later. And so the film already felt ahead of its time for calling the rise of reality TV. But what's amazing about this and what strikes me about it now is that it's so much more than that. The foresight on commenting on the choices we're making now is incredible. The choice that we're making every day to give up our privacy, either by continuing not to fight as governments take it away, like look at the stuff Edward Snowden revealed about tempora, you know, all that stuff. It's it's terrifying. You know, your governments are watching you. It's really fucking spooky and they keep using incidents like 9-11 to like increase those powers. But also, on top of that, we're giving companies access to our digital footprint every day every time you open up whatsapp and you confirm that you know to the terms and conditions you're giving them your data every time you open up facebook you're giving them your data voluntarily (laughs) you know and 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 more shocking than predicting all of that to me is predicting what would happen when we were given the technology to film ourselves when that reached our hands we voluntarily turned it on ourselves. And that's the question that lies at the heart of this film. It's that choice. You know, um, people are always choosing to live their lives for the benefit of others rather than themselves these days. People are choosing to go to restaurants because they're more grammable. Because they can take a nice picture for Instagram there. And in this movie, Truman is offered the choice to make his, to, to choose to be content, to go back into the world that's been created for him and entertain millions rather than living a life for himself. And the character learns that it's better to live for yourself because he sees the inherent flaw in that. So how this movie foresaw one of the biggest conundrums society would face through today in the 90s, I will never know. (laughs) It's not even... It's not even like... Because you're absolutely right, and you know it, it. Kind of it talked about social media and digital footprints before they were even a thing. But when you said, "I'm going to go on a rant," you could have gone on a rant about Christianity. You could have gone on a rant about surveillance, yes. about privacy, about reality television, yeah. like about AI and simulated reality. Like you could have gone on a rant. <laughs> About yeah. so many different things because the textures and layers and themes to this film are so broad and varied. It is doing so much at once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane and it's stunning. And and you know, we we're doing recommend if we're doing recommendations up top, I really, really truly I would have always have said I recommend this film. Yes. But watching it with a critical eye, yes. it's like this is another example where you, you just watch it and you go, I'm not sure where the flaws are here. It, like, this is pretty perfect. Like, this is, you know, for me, akin to Die Hard, which is just a perfectly constructed and yes. put together film. Um, so yeah. I absolutely recommend this. And what I find fascinating is, you know, it, it's not going to be. Don't worry, but this could be a six-hour podcast 
where we do an hour on how it talks about Christianity and religion and do an hour on how it talks about surveillance and do an hour on how it talks about privacy. Like, it's just, you know, it's just nuts. And that's, and that's, you know, like Dan said, a lot of these things, it it weren't even about, like, certainly the stuff Dan was talking about wasn't even about at the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's the foresight that this movie understood. I mean, and they always say, like, good satire is ridiculous in its release and becomes more and more plausible every day. So I've got two examples of that that come straight to mind. When 1984, the book, George Orwell book, first came out, it it seemed insane. How could a government lie to everyone in such an obvious way where it's very clear and with the slightest bit of remembering, you would know that it was obviously a lie. It doesn't even... it's, it's, It's fiction. It's fiction for a reason because it's ridiculous. Yet we have the QAnon folk you know we have mm. trump openly you know tweeting things um, in the past four years that are blatantly fiction just blatantly like mm. you, you wouldn't even have to look hard to find that out that that is that it's not true and getting away with it and you go okay so all all well it what started as insane became reality and the other example i think of is a more recent one is thinking back to the extras christmas special i know that seems like a really random pull but in it gervais goes into a fictional version of the big brother house and he doesn't he's not 100 percent sure one of the contestants because it's celebrity big brother and he's like what i don't understand what's she here for and basically the reason she's famous is because in the show her son died and she got on the in the you know she was on the news a lot so she's now considered a celebrity. Now that's ridiculous. So it's funny, right? When that aired in what two thousand six? Like when did that air? That was years ago. Like that's way two thousand six. Yeah, um, yeah. There you go. Um, like it, it no, aired. I'll, a... No, I'd look it up. But I'm thinking. I think it's two thousand six. Yeah, it's it's around then. It's 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 mid mid two thousands. I think. Um, you know, it was so absurd. Two thousand seven. Oh, there you go. Yeah, not too far. Um. It was absurd. It was ridiculous. It was an it was an insane notion, and it was funny because it was ridiculous. These days, it's not funny for that reason anymore. These days, it's funny because just a few weeks ago, from when we we're recording this in in early February, um, the masked singer in the U.S. revealed one of their famous singers took the mask off, and it was a kidnapping victim. Now she'd gone she'd gone on to become an activist. I I, I don't agree with that defense, but I will I will I will yeah. give the devil's advocate defense. But this is a person um, who rose to fame through a horrific act like kidnapping. It's not that yeah. far from what Gervais predicted. No, not at all. No, no, and, no. I don't disagree with you. What, what seemed insane and ridiculous and was funny because it was fiction and because it was silly is now what our reality is. And I think that is what good satire and observational stuff does. It sort of almost foresees it and. I think people who dismiss this film as kind of accidentally predicting the future, I no, I, it's too accurate. It's it's, it's ridiculous. The the, the commentary yeah, this film I think, makes about I think these it's things. only it's only going to get more accurate as well. Yes, like, correct. I really, I really do believe that, and and because kind of to the degree where, to some degree, and it's I you know I'm not you can't. Just because it's not something you'd do, you can't judge. And actually, when the moment comes, you don't know that you wouldn't do it. But, like, there are... I often think about when I see, you know, certainly YouTubers and, you know, personalities that put their children all over social media. Mm -hmm. I do often think 
is that kid when they grow up going to go oh amazing i've got all these memories that i that i can look back on and and i can you know witness my mum and dad's journey and my journey through all of these things amazing or are they gonna go jesus christ someone could you know someone could look at someone could you know i could be dating someone and they could spend a week going through my entire life that's a bit weird you know i don't know and again and i'm not judging anyone that puts we're, their children we're, on we're social the last media generation i think free from that i mean w- social media came into our lives or for my for me at least i'm a little tiny i'm a little bit i'm gonna say tiny but uh, to make myself feel better i'm a little bit older than chris um but social media wasn't like facebook wasn't really a thing yep. Yeah, kind of with with our childhood, but dude, there's hundreds, there's literally hundreds of hours of us talking on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, no, I'm getting that, but I'm saying for us, it didn't come until we were like at, at best, like I think MySpace existed when I was in college, and Facebook existed yeah, yeah, I while I was mean. at uni. Yeah, so my my youth, youth, my real youth, my my young teenage years are not documented online. My digital footprint the... starts as I start to reach adulthood. By, by accident but obviously i didn't i didn't choose that if i'd have if i'd have been born five years later then i'd have had it in high school and all my high school stuff would be out there to, to be to be you know to be absorbed so i we're the last generation of people that actually have our childhoods not ruined by this stuff <laughs> well, yeah and the film and the film doesn't even what's fascinating is there's a whole other angle and i was i was going to bring it up at some point i i very rarely it it is a perfect film i wouldn't want to change the film but I think you could absolutely do a reboot TV show of this concept and look at all look at all the different angles in yes. and moments in in more detail because like it doesn't even cover the fact that the problem with that, as so many people have experienced, is that with your footprint being out there, you suddenly like as Jack White always jokes, he's probably already made the joke that's going to end his career. And he yeah. probably made it 10 years ago and doesn't realize it. It happens on this podcast. There's an episode of this podcast where you and I talk about how we weren't sure of the idea of the Doctor from Doctor Who being played by a woman. And we completely changed our minds and in later discussions discussed how and why we changed our minds and right. grew as adults, as you do, over eight years. But someone could pull those quotes out of context and go, yeah, but you said this. And it'd be like, yeah, but I said that six years ago. Like, I've, right. I've changed. Like, and that's and that's an angle that this film doesn't even, unfortunately, get get to look at. So I think this, this concept, it, it, I would love to see a reboot TV show really delving I'd, into Honestly, it. a sequel showing a Truman on the outside world coping with being with being somebody everyone knows every intimate detail about his life i think the problem with that is the that's inherently going to be quite dark and different as it should be and yeah. i'd love it <laughs> yeah, yeah, but i think yeah. there that's would be point. there would be there would be a portion of the audience that watched pg if i don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night yes, the yeah, truman which show a, which is such a perfect ending the- as well <laughs> Yeah, that would not enjoy. Yeah, because it's because it's a fucking bold ending. Because this is this is a love story where we don't see the couple get together, no. and we don't. One of the many things it is is a love story where we don't see the couple get together, and we, where we only really see the couple share three scenes. Yeah. Um, it's a very bold ending to show us nothing. Because, and that's the other reason I'd kind of want a a reboot because then you can do that second series yeah. where he comes face to face with everyone but you kind of you write series one knowing that so maybe it's less you know 
da da da. Um, yeah. I didn't get to sleep last night because I spent a lot of time thinking about it. It's, but like, it's, it's, it yeah. is a thinker, isn't it? This film, like, like I, I have watched it as comfort food over the years and barely thought about it and just enjoyed it for because that's what's great about this. So I do think you can enjoy this film multiple levels, and I think this is proof of that because I have watched this film probably within the last three years. So not much longer ago than now. Like I wasn't, you know, a different person three years ago. <laughs> Yet my experience with it, watching it, knowing I was going to be discussing the film on this podcast, <laughs> was a completely different experience to what I had just, you know, a couple of years ago. You know, um, uh, and the only, the only reason I haven't watched it actually in between, I'll be honest with you, is because I knew at some point it was going to come up. Once we started rewind reviews, my yearly ish urge to watch that film went aside because I went, no, we're saving that. <laughs> I'll rewatch it when we do it for the podcast. Um, but yeah, it's 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 remarkable that you can take this film in on two levels like that. It's totally popcorn cinema if you want it to be. Just a, like a quirky little film about a guy trapped in this world and making a really interesting choice at the end. Um, and, and and showing his determination to get out. And also showing the hypocrisy of Kristoff. That's like we'll talk about some of the details later. But like, holy hell, it's clever. Um, but you don't get like you can take this on a surface level as just like a fun Jim Carrey trapped in a world where he's the star, but he doesn't know it. Romp. Or you can take this film on the sort of the deeper level that it's going for, which isn't like as overt as you'd think. But some of the cynicism of this film, and some of, like it's little things. Like, and we'll take the moment. We'll talk about Kristoff because Kristoff's one of the most interesting things about this film because the way. I didn't realise it until watching it this time around. First of all, he doesn't show up properly until an hour into the movie. Mm. Which is fucking bonkers. The structure of the film... Well, he has, he's, he's in the beginning montage, but then he doesn't show up again fully. And until the hour point. scenes with yeah. him. Yeah, until an hour. Yeah, yeah I, che- I checked when he showed back up because I was like, when? Um, the movie breaks at the hour point and goes in a very different direction. That's when that sort of montage happens and it sort of steps out of the show and gives you some context for things you might have been wondering about. Um... But what's amazing about Kristoff is the complexity and hypocrisy of his character. When he inter- he's interviewed by Harry Shearer, when he reappears at the hour mark, Harry Shearer says, we know how much you value your privacy. <laughs> and that's a small line that might, if you were just sort of viewing this casually, you go, well, that's just a thing you sometimes say, isn't it? Some celebrities are private. <laughs> you know. But when you're, when, but when you're analysing the movie, you're going, well, wait a minute. <laughs> This is the man yeah, it's crazy. stripping a human of his privacy. And then the other hypocrisy and the more bold hypocrisy is Christoph saying if he really want, if he properly wanted to get out of here, he would. We're not stopping him. We're not stopping him. After a montage of them going to extraordinary measures to stop him and then nearly killing him towards the end of the movie to keep him in. That's Completely. madness. It's he's he is such a villainous character. Like yeah. he he's so the villain and and you know, I can see Ed Harris I think was nominated for an Academy Academy Award for best supporting actor, I think, or certainly got nominations at something. Um and you could you can see why because he's it's yeah. it's a pantomime performance to, in some ways. But also you can and this isn't a defense of the character. Yeah. But you can see that he loves him. He describes yes. himself as the creator, and and but but there's this beautiful line between if I said you can see that he loved him, and you went, "Oh no, it's all ego." We'd we'd both have an argument. 
So yeah, we would. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's he's an incredibly complex, complexly written character. Um, yeah, the jealousy that I think says something like, um, "I know how jealously you guard your privacy." Because I had to like I rewound it and watched it with subtitles because I was like, "Oh, that's so like." What does that mean? And what a dick! Why? Why does he get to have a private yeah. life? That's fucked up. Like, yeah. So it's a yeah. really powerful line in in the rewatch. Um, uh, again, rewatching with an open eye. Um, it, it does really change your reading of him. I think because I always mm. saw him. I, I was, I think, leaning to the. I do think he truly loves Truman and and wants Truman to be happy. But he wants Truman to be happy in a way he controls. So he's still yeah. villainous, but his intentions are good. But the rereading yeah. I sort of get from this more recent viewing is actually a little bit more cynical. Because I'm thinking, actually, I do, I do think to a point he must know what he's doing because he's, you know, he's 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 giving himself the gift of privacy, stripping it from someone else, talking about how much he loves his character and how much if he truly wanted to get out, he he we we couldn't prevent him from discovering the truth about his world. Yet going to these extraordinary lengths to the point of nearly killing him you know um, did you see did you see the in in a slight deep diving of it that you may have done before or after mm. rewatching it did you see the deleted scene of the table read no i know about so some basic scenes from the trivia but maybe this is is this the oh, go on no, i'll let you I'll let you explain what it is well, it's 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 Moran, Marie or whatever her name is, the current the the wife in the film, yeah, um, the best friend, the new love interest, and the guy from work, and it's basically Christoph is um, doing a he's remotely from you know his moon base doing a table read with them. He announces that she's leaving because she's had enough, but also announces um, you know he says about the new love interest, and he says something like, "I'm determined that the first on-screen co- um, conception yes. will happen." And he go- he talks about then when the idea is when the baby's born, they then go to a two-channel format where one follows the the, the child and yes. one follows Truman. And the best friend goes, so what happens when Truman dies? Do we go back to one camera? And Christoph refused to answer in a really kind of creepy, villainous way. And you, right. and again, even the best friend, there's two readings of it. One, he's genuinely fond of Truman and he's, he, you know, he thinks that they've go, they're going too far. Or two, that he's like literally just asking a practical question. Because <laughs> he's worried about um, his job. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's just, again, so layered. Well, that's see. That's interesting. That because they're, they're, and we're, we're teasing, teasing a little bit on uh, you know teaching a little bit into the into the stuff that I've got for the triv here. But to clarify, they were originally going to give Marlon's character a bit more of an arc, where at the end he showed genuine concern for Truman, um, mm. uh, and they didn't get to that. And the movie itself, the final film, has a hint of that, where they do still have the line. In the final product, I'm still determined we'll see the world's first televised conception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in so the, uh, which, uh, it's which, in which the is... slightly. If sorry, if I was giving one criticism, and it really is a nitpick, it's in the slightly expositional interview. <laughs> see, I see. I quite like the interview because the I, I, oh, I, I love it. Yeah, saying, I, 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 it is. It is a little expositional, but I think he gets away with it. Because at that point in the movie, you've you've kind of mostly had Truman's perspective of events, so you've put together a lot of what's going on yourself as a viewer. Um, 
But I do like that an hour into the movie, they go, just just so we're all on the same page about what's going on here, <laughs> we're going to step back and actually confirm what you think you've put together at this point. It's like getting to the end of the crossword well, book and it has the answers. You know what I mean? They, like it's... They, do a, they do a really great job of... Like, and obviously not all of them are covered, especially in like, you know, a a world today where people expect to have, you know, all the information. But the film does a really great job of answering most of the obvious questions you would have. Like About in that how montage, this they answer, yeah. yeah, they answer how many cameras. They have that great joke where the where the where the uh, the security guard guys are like, you never see anything though. They just pan the camera away, or wind blows, like annoyed that you never see the set. Yeah. So you and that, but the, but that is a question a lot of people would have. What yeah. happens when there's intimate moments? Um, so they do a really great job of answering a lot of that like what are the yeah. other actors doing when they're not near truman not much waiting do you know what i mean yeah so, and there's yeah. and there's other interesting elements as well which is like hints to where they, where they don't like where they don't outright confirm it in the montage but there's just enough information for you to make a guess so like the example i keep coming back to is marlon they talk there's a point when they when marlon and truman are having a moment right they're having like their their heart to heart on the end of the bridge thing, the, the construction bridge thing. And he sort of said that he's reminiscing and he's talking about like the time that he ended up getting pneumonia and Truman's like, you were out of school for like a month. And you go, wait a minute. That was his holiday, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like you, you don't know, but you kind of know, like it's, it's, it's not explicit. The movie doesn't outright say it, but you could make a damn good assumption that that's why he got a month off. <laughs> You know, um, yeah. but there's other questions I have about the practicality about it, because to me, right, all the people waiting at quote unquote first positions just sort of stood about waiting to start, you know, almost frozen in place. Mm. Why just hire a bunch of people mm. and say live and work in this town? Yeah, I know. We'll have you'll have but earpieces that, in and if we need you to do something specific, you'll have to respond. But mostly just go about your day because then, you know, what you <laughs> won't get. You won't get Truman noticing. <laughs> the, yeah, but that's not as entertaining on... for the film, is it? <laughs> no, I know, but I just know. I'm just going like to, to, not to nitpick the film because it, it has to be like that in the film because there has to be holes for Truman to spot. I understand that, but I'm saying like just if you were actually doing this in real life, this is not how you would go about it because it would be much no. easier just to put a bunch of people in the fake town and just say you just live. We're going to pay you to live here. Just go about your life. Yeah. That way, you don't get Truman noticing. You know the lady with the flowers, the guy on the bike, the the the, 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 the whatever the I can't remember what car it was. He he said was passing. Um, ah, oh, damn, cars exist could have happened this week. That's not in the trivia. <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe yeah. it's a, is it a beetle with a dented fender? I can't remember. Um, can't remember. But the. Uh, was it? Yeah, it was a. De- I think it was a. De- it was dented something. I think it was it like, yeah, it was like a dented fender or something. I have to look that up. But anyway. Um, it's yeah it's it's you know there's a way to not have been caught here if i'm honest <laughs> they yeah, they made this yeah. much harder on themselves <laughs> yeah com- completely they did like yeah. like you say you could just have them living the life like that but it does lead to you know narratively for the film it leads to great moments <laughs> like when he's watching the surgery and the, and the dude's just like well i'll make my first incision <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> the woman on the table ends up like screaming and panicking. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's got some it's got some great moments. Let's let's talk about the uh, the love story because yes. it is so expertly done, isn't it? But between him and um, Sylvia, like the notion of him buying magazines which feature a lot of women to slowly compile a picture of her is just such a beautiful idea yes. like wonderful yeah i think it's it, it it's interesting how they do it because like this is another moment where they're giving us exposition while also doing great character work because what mm. we what they establish early on is that the show itself does flashbacks when yeah. he's not yeah. doing anything and they they want to sort of create a storyline, they'll tell you what they think he's thinking by creating a narrative, by throwing back to a previous moment from the show. And they have that great moment when they cut to the bar. <laughs> Barman says, ah, oh, we got this on the greatest hits tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I thought yeah. is just such a nice moment. Um, and I think, I, I think what's clever about that is that you, it gives us the chance to, within the structure of the story, get the flashback but it's contextual like it's within the world the flashback so we're we're not just flashing back like in a movie that's the show flashing back and we're getting to see it as a result like that's kind of genius um if yeah, i'm honest absolutely um i also i think the choice to show all the people watching it throughout is a really smart choice because you could argue there's a version of the script where they commit to it being the show and not leaving the show until that act break at the hour mark where we pull out and get do the Harry Shearer presented sort of recap of the week show. Does that make sense? Like, there's a world yeah, where you don't I... move. I think they made the right choice, but you could have easily committed the first hour of this movie to being purely in-world, never leaving. Yeah, but again... In... Uh, and we must put a pin to go back to the to the love story. Sorry, yes, uh, yeah, I, I got distracted by the way is... they did the love story. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I've got a question that comes off of that because do you think? Because I think it's quite a bold opening, like to go so into the world. But the opening is is interviews with the actors, so they they do break it in the first moments of the film as well. They just then go they go to the world and etc. Yeah. So do you think? Do you think they had to do that opening or do you think there's a way where you could just go into it a bit more and like have the light fall and you're just as confused as Truman if you don't know the yeah. premise of the film? Yeah, I, I honestly, that's my, I've got it in my notes as being like my only real criticism is I actually think you could do it without that. I think in fact it might even be slightly better. Um, it's the one change I could pitch for this film that I think might slightly improve it. Um, but the only problem with that is I suppose if you're already committed to cutting to the outside world you know, a few minutes after that when you cut to the bar or the old ladies or the guy in the bath or whatever yeah. watching. If you're going to do that anyway, makes no, doesn't really make too much difference, in my opinion. Which they do throughout, you know, it's just kind of the break is more yeah. you seeing the creator and the moon and stuff. Yeah, the, um, the, the moment yeah, the moment they break the reality and really pull out of it is that hour mark I keep talking about, which is the, which is the, the point after he meets his dad. And the show goes like, whoa, what a week we've had. And that's when they interview yeah, Christoph. Yeah. And we really, at that point, we're exposing ourselves to the, to, to the wider world of, the, of what the show is. Um, I do think there's a version of the script, but to do, to, get a, to do away with the opening and be as confused as Truman when that light falls out of the sky, I think you have to do away with the insert shots. And that's a shame, because what I do love about this movie is that they almost build 
supplementary characters through those. Yeah, absolutely. You don't spend a lot of time with those people, but you do get a good sense of them from the few scenes you see. You know, uh, I'm particularly fond of Guy in a Bath. <laughs> he's he's he has a real arc. <laughs> yeah, I like the, Guy in a Bath. The old I like ladies the, are great. Yeah, the old ladies. I love. They all are. The, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the security guard guys. Uh, one of them is um, the guy from Brooklyn Nine Nine, isn't it? It's um, Scully and or yeah. Hitchcock from Brooklyn well, Nine Nine. Well, the security guys have the true arc because that moment at the end where they're like, "What else is on?" Yeah, is is just yeah. Brilliant. That re- it's, that one incredible bold because like to me, I, when I'm someone says to me, "What's the end of the Truman Show?" It's good afternoon, good evening, and good night, and he walks through the door and the movie ends. But it doesn't. There's a gag. They throw in a gag that's nothing to do with Truman. Which and is- a gag that you do sort of question whether they would well that's the thing though some people would be that nonchalant even if they'd watched this guy all their life yeah. some people would just be like oh, well what, yeah what, what well, you on? know after you know six seven years whatever it was of great game of thrones you know it finished and people were like what's next you know that's just the, the nature of entertainment is that it is disposable and i love that the, that they expose that in the end and it somehow doesn't detract from the ending i do i don't ever come away from this movie going what a beautiful ending oh Share about that annoying tag, though. It spoils it a bit. You get both somehow. I don't know how they do... I don't know where the magic lies there. You know, in terms of, like... Because on paper, that shouldn't work, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? Having the really poignant ending of Truman showing... Like, sorry, choosing to leave. Mm. Followed up by that random gag. You'd almost... such a good gag, though. It's it's, it's a wonderful gag, but you, you could argue on paper it would distract from the really powerful ending. Yeah. But somehow, in, yeah, but I don't know if it's in editing or execution or what, it works beautifully. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's the strength of the gag for me. Like, that's why right. it works. Because yeah. it, um, it's, it's genuinely a really funny gag. Uh, but to move back to your original question, because I got very distracted, because mm. I, I, I got so distracted by the way they did it being clever that i forgot to actually talk about the thing itself uh which is the sort of love story without the two characters getting to spend any real time together um i i think a lot of that is the strength of the performers yeah um i I, it's not completely them the script does a really great job moments like you know him putting together over the course of the movie that picture that looks like a through the you know keep buying those like so for those who don't remember the movie um, we probably should have a little recap of what it was up top, but we said we recommend it and go watch it before you listen to this. So hopefully most people listening to this have seen the movie. Um, the, throughout the movie, he's buying like glamour mags, like, you know, fashion mags, finding the ads with like close up of ladies faces and tearing out mouth, nose, eyes, different bits. And he's building a picture because he doesn't have a picture of this woman he met when he was in high school that snuck into the show to tell him that it was a show, stole a kiss, stole his heart. And then was removed from the show for trying to tell him the truth because she believes he's a captive. She believes he's a prisoner. Um, she's since then sort of become an activist, you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, you, you see in her apartment. And again, it's subtle details like this that I think are really good. If you see behind her in her apartment, she's got like free Truman posters and picket signs and stuff like that. So you, she never says and another like, if, another element you'd explore more in the reboot TV series. Yeah, for sure. Yes, 100%. The outside world and the people out there who believe that he's a captive. Yeah, for sure. Um, so she's, you know, since then been on the outside just watching patiently and hoping that he can he can get out while, you know, uh, actively, uh, you know, almost, it's almost like the Free Britney <laughs> movement at the moment. It's, you know, um, for those listening, you know, the future, this, this that documentary, Free Britney, the, the, the 
framing Britney Spears was just just dead, so it's quite a topic at the minute. Um, I promise it's timely when I'm saying it, even if it isn't <laughs> in three months' time or whatever. Anyway, um, so the way they do it uh, is a combination of moments like they in the script, he's tearing up that picture, right, and making the picture of her, which is a beautiful visual, right? But then in the film... It's the looks that she's giving when she's when they show her watching him, and the when you know he's thinking about her, the the way he's able to express the heartache that comes with that, and also the way his relationship with um, Laura Linney's character, oh god, uh, mm-hmm. Meryl, Meryl, um, uh, you know. It feels false to both of them. That's what's clever about it is they also make strengthen his love story with um, her character, uh, Lauren, by... No, Sylvia? Her real name is... Sil- her real name's Sylvia. It's Lauren, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the... I forgot my point because I got so distracted by her name. God damn it. Oh, yeah. So uh, when the, you... The, the way that they present his relationship with um, Meryl is so broken and false from both sides. Does that make sense? Like that it, so so that in a way enhances his relationship with with with, uh, with Lauren because you know that his his marriage is a sham in more ways than the obvious, you know, <laughs> and that's fascinating in itself. Um, yeah, I don't know. They they they, they yeah, do they it do. beautifully. They, so much of the movie like, is dedicated to making that work, despite the two sharing so little screen time. Um, well, it's I, like you say, it's the it's the chemistry in the performances, even when they're not together. Like the bit yeah. where he completes the photo, and Jim Carrey's delivery of the smile, and then her delivery of the "It's right. me." He's still he's still thinking of me. Yes, because I like to imagine there's a whole world where. Because, again, logically, in real logic, the TV show wouldn't want to play too much on that. It wouldn't want to remind the audience of the break. It wouldn't want to, it wouldn't want to show that there is an element of him that they didn't control, that they've not been able to get rid yeah, of. I but that. I like the idea, I like the idea that the explanation of that is he just, he spends, he spent so much time working on that photo. He's so, He's so consumed by his feelings for her. They had no choice but to to show it and and yes. reveal it and talk about it and stuff. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's beautifully done. And 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 like you say, Meryl's um, Laura uh, Limley, I think it is. I, mm-hmm. If I've said her name wrong, I apologise. Um, her performance is it, it's just brilliant because it just totes this line of like she that with with her and the best friend. They're in the hands of lesser actors and in the hands of a lesser script. Yes. They're pantomime villains that are yeah. just ourselves. And I'm not saying they are in any way good or redeemed because those two in particular aren't particularly. I think the only one, aside from um, um, Lauren or whatever her name is. Laura Lee. Um, the no sorry the the girlfriend the oh Laura, yeah it's La- so it's lauren yeah. is her the name she goes into the show with but her actual name is sylvia i think sylvia yeah the only the only character that's knowingly faking it for truman that is kind of redeemed a little is is the dad because he forced his way back in and forced his way back into his life and showed you know some resemblance of true love I tell you Again, what, that's something... that's uh, that's another that's a great way to get your job back in it 
Yeah, I mean, just sneak on as like a tramp, <laughs> like beautifully got, done. I got, I got fired from the show, so I've snuck on as a tramp. Now you've got to bring Again, me back. Again, I... I can't express enough. I, I, I know I keep going. Do you reckon his agent told him to do that? <laughs> I don't his, know. his agent was oh. like, show your face again. Truman will be like blown away and they'll have to write have you back no into chance. the show. <laughs> and again, like, I don't, I don't, if anyone thinks I don't, um, if anyone thinks um, I think there's things the film could have done better because I keep going explored more in the 10 episode reboot series. It's not that I think the film could have done it better. It's that I just ache to, I ache to see more scenes of them together reunited and him quizzing him and him having to think on the fly. I, I ache to see how he snuck yeah. in. So it's not, it's, it's a movie that, that it's a movie didn't... that leaves you wanting more in a good way. I think is what you're getting. Yeah, at. exactly. Exactly. Um, I just yeah. want to make that clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's and did you so we talked we talked briefly at the end of the last episode. Um where do you sit down on what the balance is between drama and comedy? Did you laugh as much as you remembered laughing? Yeah, I think you, you know? I, I I always thought it was a pretty low level comedy film. Like I don't think it's a laugh a minute sort of film. And even as a kid I recognized that it was not a typical Jim Carrey laugh a minute. Mm. affair um so i don't think i had any expectations of how funny it was going in um yeah. Yeah, and, it, and i think what i'm laughing at these days is different to what i laughed at then for sure like these days i'm laughing at how ridiculous the sort of like the satire is and how close to home it is it's it's, it's funny almost as much as it is upsetting that christoph wants his privacy like that's a funny joke in my opinion in a weird way I don't think I'd have found that funny as a kid. Um, I would have laughed at Jim Carrey pretending to go about his normal day later in the movie. So there's a section of the movie when he's playing along because he's got a plan to escape. Oh. And it's so... When you when you watch it knowing... Yeah. There's so many beautiful... Like, when he does the mirror thing and he goes, that one's for free. And when he yes. when he's looking <laughs> at the new, the new love interest and... Are you watching it the first time if you don't think he's realized you'd probably you'd be forgiven for thinking that and a read on it is that he's looking at her and oh she's nice that like they they're getting their way it's working he's taking an interest in this love interest yeah. but when you watch it knowing that he knows and he's about to escape that scene plays as Oh, I see what they're doing. They, they, there she is. Like it's further proof that he's being controlled because, it's a, of it, course, he's now got a new love interest. Yeah, it's a, like, it's a performance so nuanced. You, you get both reads you need to get out of it. And how yeah, good yeah. is that? That you, that, that he needed to give us both a convincing performance because you have to believe that Christoph and the guys up in the tower are believing it. You have mm-hmm. to believe that they're believing it. So it has to be close enough. To back as to him being, you know, back to his old self. But it yeah. also has to be winky and knowy enough that a viewer watching it back recognizes how false it is. And that's so we always praise that. Whenever across rewind reviews, nothing but static, whenever we see a performance that isn't, you know, say someone that someone that um isn't really confident going oh no i'm confident like it's so hard to do there are so many examples of someone having to do two things and it not working so whenever we see it where someone does it and you get both reads it's like yeah fair play yeah it's it's brilliantly done i think the strongest one is the, the the love interest 
That is such a brilliant yeah. because it is it is absolutely a hundred percent believably he's interested in this woman, or he's smiling, going, "Oh, I see exactly what these fuckers are doing." The only one yeah. I think that slightly leans too much one way is the dog. When the dog gets him, he's like, "Oh, Pluto, stay away." That one's a little too acty. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. again it works just about. That's that, that's the one closest to letting it down. But like, and that's just me going really granular for nitpicky, just so I don't sound like I'm completely, you know, <laughs> bumming this movie to the moon. Like I I love this movie deeply, but like you know, it's, you know, if I was gonna like try and find a nitpick there, it was it's that one is the weakest I think, um, because mm. that's the one where he's most obviously acting. But. Again, you'd easily forgive someone for watching this and not seeing that at all. I no, I think yeah. I don't, I don't remember I don't how, think... whether I how I read it the first time I watched it. Sadly, uh, it was I was so young. I would love to be able to re-experience this movie from scratch, though. That would be that if I. This is one of those movies that you know people always sometimes say, "Oh, I wish I could just erase it from my head so I can enjoy it all over again." This movie's on that mm. list for me. I would love to watch this movie from scratch again. I don't think Jim Carrey gets enough credit for his performance in it. Although, looking at the list of awards... He got a uh, Golden Globe, I, I think, for it, didn't he? Uh, he got... No, bear with me. Uh, he got nominated... Yeah, no, he did. He won He won Best Actor. Yeah. The film won Best Original Score. And Ed Harris won Best Supporting Actor. I guess what I really mean by that, then, is I think it's a bit unfair that Ed Harris got nominated for an Oscar and he didn't. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's that's what's interesting is he he won Golden Globes I think two years on the trot. Um, one was right. for this, and one was for Man on the Moon. Man I on think. the Moon. Yeah, um, I assume so. Uh, yeah, and yeah, he never got the Oscar nod. I don't think for either of those movies, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, I think mm. it's a, it's an interesting. I do think. Obviously, we all know the Oscars and stuff are like politics and what have you, but I and I think this is a really good example of that because I think he'd unfortunately. Um, I think he'd unfortunately thrown himself a bit under the bus for the Oscars with the career choices prior to this. I think there was a snobbery and an assumption about what his movies were and what he did that made people not take him as seriously. Um, I won't name names, but I met a member of the Academy, a reasonably prominent but older um actor turned producer and this film came up and when they heard it was a jim carrey film they sneered and it took one of their um uh, i used the word handlers but that's the wrong word really it was someone in there like uh, i don't want to use like the word like crew or posse because there's an older person but they had a group of people around them you know um yeah. like like an entourage but not <laughs> um who yeah, one, and it took one of them turning around and going actually i know what you're thinking it's a jim carrey but it's actually very very good and and, and it was it, it was it's so this is so hard to do without naming the person um but they they sneered immediately when this film came up when I was in conversation yeah. with them and they were they are working well, maybe not they're, yeah they're working as a producer now as a member of the academy and it just it's funny thinking back to that scene now looking at the fact it never got nominated and I'm going yeah I think I know why <laughs> he, yeah, he built himself well, a reputation he was almost he was dismissed out of hand it feels <laughs> right so he got he's he's never been nominated for any Oscar so he's he's yeah. got, he got nominated for a BAFTA for have a guess. Oh, a BAFTA. Um, so a BAFTA. Uh, Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, because they they and love Kaufman, don't they? He, Kaufman. 
Yeah. Charlie. No, Eternal Sunshine is the film with the the film with the minds. Man on the Char- Moon is the Kaufman. No, that's Andy Kaufman. I'm talking about Charlie Kaufman, the director, sorry, the writer of Eternal Sunshine. Oh, sorry. Well, they've both got the same surname in my defense. Like, you could see why I thought you were talking about Man <laughs> on the Kaufman, Moon again. Charlie famously the writer of Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Like. Yeah, well, yeah, but we just talked about Andy Kaufman. We <laughs> yeah. just talked so, about so, Man so, on the yeah, Moon. So it's, uh, yeah, so, so the, 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 his movies always get, like, uh, they, they love him yeah, at the fair enough. Kaufman. He's, he's, like, I'm trying to think of, um, like, a normal Lisa, I think, got BAFTAs. Um, being John Malkovich, obviously, like mega, you know, adaptation. I think, but all those movies did well at the BAFTAs, which is why I jumped to Eternal Sunshine. Anywho, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, Golden Globes, as you say, two wins: Truman Show and Man on the Moon. Seven nominations. The other films were The Mask and Liar Liar for Best Actor, Musical Comedy, uh, and yeah. then <laughs> How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Eternal Sunshine, yeah. uh, and Kidding. Kidding's great. He did, yeah, he deserves all the awards for Kidding. Honestly, since Truman Show, I, I, Kidding might be one of his best performances since Truman. Yeah, oh, definitely. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And um, a Screen Actors Guild Award for Man on the Moon and a Grammy Award <laughs> in terms of that's listed here under prestigious awards. He got nominated oh. uh, for the sound for Best Spoken Word Album for Children for uh, the soundtrack, it seems, to a series of unfortunate events. Um, anyway. He is also wonderful, um, it's worth noting. And I love you, Philip Morris. Um, I think that's another one of his performances that mm. goes a little under the radar. Um, I think he did an amazing job in that film. Uh, it's it's really good, um, and of course, let's not let's not let's not forget Chris the Oscar worthy fight with himself for me, myself, and Irene. <laughs> that is some of the best uh, physical comedy. <laughs> well, well done, well done. <laughs> he did get nominated for me, myself, and Irene. At the Teen Choice Awards 2000 for choice movie Wipeout Scene of the Summer. Oh, he won that. Oh, there you go. He did get some recognition for that. Um, the <laughs> the but speaking of his performance, like yes. he, because he has to do so much here. Yeah. That on the page is overt and you know too satirical. Yeah. Even one of the most dramatic moments. In the hands of a lesser actor, the the final when he hits the screen and he's punching the wall with the clouds and the sky on. In yeah. the hands of a lesser actor, that moment is cheesy and awful. But yeah. he absolutely well, you the pain you feel for him in that scene. The amazing, I, but the idea that a director chose him for this, any director, like I, I, is amazing. Like the the foresight of Peter Weir, the director of this film to believe Jim Carrey could do this. Because, honestly, if, if you sat me down and if I'd been hit on the head and I'd forgotten everything about these movies, any Jim Carrey work ever, and you said to me, watch these, and you showed me, you know, The Mask, Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, Batman Forever, and then went, oh, and then Liar Liar, and then went, right, here's the script for The Truman Show. Do you reckon that guy could do this? I'd be like, fuck no. <laughs> this requires mm. so much dramatic nuance. You've got you to remember, this was the first time he showed he could do this. The the, the punt the director took on Carrie, and the casting director as well, I assume, remarkable. The fact that, they mm. knew, that, they, that they'd seen this in him somehow, and it's not an accident. I'm not suggesting they got lucky. 
I'm saying they are geniuses because they saw something. There's no way categorically anyone else would have seen from that performer looking at his his sort of um, back catalogue at that point. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, oh, yeah, yeah Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, yeah, because they knew he'd done this. Like, it, it's not to, a surprise reasons, that he gets dramatic roles after this, but it's amazing he got this one to start with. One of the reasons I want to rewatch The Mask is because I've not watched it in years, and I'd love to know how, in my head, the performance of the guy without the mask is quite, it's not as overt, it's no, quite it's, subtle. He plays it quite downtrodden. <laughs> Yeah, so I'd be quite interested to see what that's like. But anyway, um, Stanley, did you have any other Stanley, notes before? Stanley Ipkiss. Is that the character's name? Yes. Cool. Um, liar, uh, liar as well. What a film. Um, the outtakes from uh, Liar, Liar remain some of the most entertaining outtakes I've ever seen in my life. Liar, the liar moment in Liar, Liar really. where he screws up his line, so he screws up the piece of paper and then holds it out and it happens to be in the shape of a goose and he just goes, a goose, and throws it away. Yeah. Is one of the most amazing <laughs> yeah. things I've ever seen in my life. It's very good. Um, have you got any other notes before before trivia, Daniel? Um, yeah, I just want to cover a couple of little like overall stuff. I just want to talk about um, the cast on the whole. Uh, particularly, I want to give some shout out to like Noah uh, Noah Emmerich, who plays uh, who plays mm. Marlon. Um, he gives a really nuanced performance. Also, we've talked a lot about Jim Carrey. We talked a lot about Laura Linney, who also absolutely nails this juxtaposition between like cheesy ad lady from the 50s and actually an actress that's being quite heavily traumatized (laughs) by a man losing his mind you know she rides that line really well too um we talked about but didn't name so just natasha mccone i'm not saying her name right without a doubt but um she played um lauren slash sylvia as well so just yeah i've been meaning to look into her actually because i'm sure i recognize her from something else and i couldn't place it when we were watching the movie and i was like i need to go i need to click on her imdb and find out what it is oh she's in designated um, it's survivor. probably designated oh. survivor no you know what it's, it's further back than that it's californication She's cool. the wife. She's she's his wife in Californication. She's fucking wonderful in that show. Holy shit! Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, she's good. It's I watched cast, the first baby. season. I watched the first season of um, Designated Survivor and not much further. But I watched all like eight seasons or whatever of Californication. I didn't realize. Boy, I went on a little dive last night after watching this. Spoilers, Dan. Uh, spoilers for anyone really for Designated Survivor. They killed her off. Did they? Yeah, she's not in the third series. Killed her off in the second. Oh. Weird. Yeah. What a shame. How did they wait? That, yeah. How did they do that? It's just another, another bomb, I guess. <laughs> just... uh, she got hit by a truck or something. Of course she did. Right. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Christ. I also the impression get... I get because the 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 children weren't really like the one of the children was listed as guest starring and one of the children was listed as they it said they left for university. So I get the impression they tried to make the third series more of an out and out political show right not covering the you know the home side of it um but anyway sorry you were saying about um the noah thingamajig Thingamajig. uh yeah i just yeah noah emmerich i just think he's like what he does as marlon is like a really great another another line toting performance most of the actors in this movie have to be many things because there there's a performance happening within the context of the world and then there's the real person and the moment he says he's gone (laughs) like it's so human so like i don't know what to do <laughs> um it's great he does a really good job and he's also very believable because as well 
There's that great scene where he and Truman are basically in tears on the end of the pier, and he's saying, everyone can't be in on it, Truman, because if that was the case, I'd have to be in on it too. Mm. And it's and he great sells scene. it so well, for a minute I believe it. For a minute I go, shit, maybe he's not in on it. Maybe he's also part of the Truman Show. Like, you could easily... And then it does that cut to Ed Harris. It's beautiful, Christoph. It's beautiful. Reading the words for him, yeah, yeah. So he's he's great, I, and also credit to just all the cast up in the in like the booth, like that play, you know, the people upstairs, like Paul Giamatti, just in a really weird small role for him. Obviously, it's, I mean, maybe he just he wasn't Paul Giamatti at this point, I guess. In the sense, do of you his forget face. every time he's in it, and then go, oh yeah, Paul Giamatti's yeah. in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Same a little bit with Harry Shearer, to be honest with you. I was like, oh, Harry Shearer's in this movie. Yeah. cool um so yeah i just again i think the cast top to bottom and we, we talked about ed harris's amazing performance as christoph and it's even more amazing when we get to the trivia i'll tell you something about his performance that you might not be aware of that's kind of amazing considering how good it is um but yeah i just everyone in this movie is absolutely on fire and i just i think yeah that, definitely. the other thing that's really on fire in this movie that we didn't get a chance to talk about the fucking music can we talk about mm. the fucking music holy shit holy shit <laughs> that's all i have it's to brilliant say. it's amazing it's it's incredible uh it's it's and it's it, never from top to bottom it's yeah even though they often repeat the same sort of yeah the turkish range it's yeah. it's still brilliant like you never it, it's still effective like it's never you're never going you know how it got to the point where as much as i hate to criticize and maybe this is just my memory and this isn't actually the case but you know how it got to the point on doctor who where you were a bit like yeah i am the doctor all right fine um mm. they're playing it again in yeah. this they use that a lot but you never it's always done so beautifully you never feel that way yeah it's a, i think it's philip glass performing uh, mozart's turkish march um is the sort of is the piece you're probably most associate with it because the piece i always associate with it, which is that that is beautiful but philip glass also composed some original music for this film including a piece called truman sleeps which is fucking beautiful so uh, just uh, as if it wasn't amazing enough that this is so well directed and written and acted the music's also fucking wonderful so you know knock that one out of the fucking park as well while we're at it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and the, again, Truman, uh, the Truman Show music from the motion picture is is available on soundtrack. There you go. Well worth it. I, I genuinely listened to that while writing in the past. It's a great soundtrack. Mm. Um, I also just want to give a last little nod before I get into the trivia to the direction itself and the choice to use so many of the hidden cameras to just constantly remind you. They never let you for more than a few moments feel like you're in a film. Like They will do it. They'll use cinematic camera angles for a couple of the shots but they don't wait very long between the cameras that are obviously hidden somewhere, which gives the movie a look that's unlike anything you usually would see. The moment I think to is when they do uh, when he when he's going to get on the boat and he looks down and sees the very carefully placed half sunken <laughs> rowboat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to make him fear and the camera angle they use for that moment is this really low angle from the boat like they stuck a hidden camera on the boat itself because they knew Truman was going to make eye contact with it and um, it's not a very cinematic angle but it's very TV and it's they do those so often like the one that the camera that's in the pencil sharpener later in the movie mm. when he puts the pencil in it spins around 
Like it's they do that every sort of like oh, it's like clockwork. Like I don't, I've not timed it, but I bet you if you timed it, it's like one of those every like two minutes or something like that. So it just means you never forget where you are. You're constantly being reminded of that. Um, and I just think that's a really wonderful choice from the director um, to mix in the, the cinematic visuals with those clever sort of hidden camera ones. The only time I was like, "Who is this?" was there's there's a button cam chasing him in the hospital. But at that point, the nurse that sort of greeted him has gone. So you're a bit like, who's oh, yeah. So who's chased, that? And who's why chasing they, him? And, but, and why aren't they grabbing but, him and turning him around? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's, that's again, that's nitpick. Like yeah. you said, like you touched upon earlier, it's a really fine balance between enough of those shots to remind you it's a TV show and have it feel like a TV show, but not so many that they stylistically chose to do the whole thing as a TV show. Because I yeah. think that would have been a mistake. That would have been too much. It would yeah. have distracted. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Cool. Give us the... Give me the trip, boy. So, yeah, there's a fair bit of trip. So I'll try, I'll try and get through this as quickly as possible. I've condensed some of it. So, like, into the into one piece of trivia. Like, a few things that were kind of related. Um, so some of this might run into itself rather than being a lot of bullet points of trip. Um, the first well, one I want to... Talk... You didn't want to compliment... You didn't want to compliment my singing. You didn't want to compliment my triv song at all you just just let that slip by will you i just thought the best way to honor it chris was to let it sit and not point it out and so because because it, it, it was a smooth okay. transition into the triv artfully done that's true to compliment true. it would it have was... been to would have been to affect the smoothness of your transition that's fair it was to the tune of that song that andy sings which i assume is a real song in the office where he goes give me the beat boys a female <laughs> song i want to get lost in a rock and roll and drift away which is a song i sing to myself probably once a week <laughs> i whenever i think of andy from the office singing i always think of, love me love me <laughs> say that yeah. you love I was thinking of that one before I think of anything else. That's great. It's when he can't resist but join in. So, so yeah, it's just Jim singing it to wind him up. It's great. Anyway, um, so to move anyway, to the trip. Give me the trip, boy. Free my little song. Welcome to the section. So, here's the trip. Triv. Do, do um, trip. So Paramount was a little cautious about this film in general because they kind of dubbed it the most expensive art film ever made. Because it had a budget of between 60 and $80 million. Now, I've seen both figures, 60 and 80 so I'm just going to say between the two, because we don't know for sure. Um, part of the original sort of screenwriting deal with the writer, Andrew Nichol, when they bought it, was that he would be allowed to direct it as his debut. But because the budget was so high, they basically gave him a little bit of money to go away. <laughs> <laughs> they said, look, we know we had a contract that said you direct this, but it's too expensive. Will you take X amount of money, undisclosed, but presumably part of the film's budget, um, to just let us choose another director? Because we just, we, we're nervous about giving you so much money to make this movie as a first-time director. He agreed. Whatever those negotiations were, he was happy with that. So then they started looking for like an A-list director to sort of step in. Um, Brian De Palma was at one point under negotiations to direct it, but he ended up leaving his agency at the time which is united talent and um uh and that sort of the deal fell apart other directors that were considered were tim burton sam ramey uh terry gillam uh barry sonfeld who'd just done men in black at this point i think or was about to um steven spielberg um all these people were all considered but in the end obviously they brought in peter weir all those people feel way too distinctive for this yeah i kind of like peter weir's almost not like sort of subtle almost lack of a style style like if he feels more mm. adaptable than any of those directors to this project like i i can't think of anyone else tackling this you know um mm. 
And obviously, Peter Weir at this point, I mean, what had he done? He So he'd done Dead Poet Society and Witness. Both great movies. Very different. <laughs> um, Dead Poet Society will come back up on this podcast as well, by the way. like that, I, I, Witness is fine. I, I think Witness is a totally functional movie, but it wasn't a big part of my childhood. But I loved Dead Poet Society. Um, for similar reasons, actually, to this, in that it was a movie with a big comic hero of mine doing a serious role. And... Um, yeah, I definitely was really impressed and surprised by that. Um, so we'll come back to it made, Poets, it, it made 264.1 million, according to Wikipedia. So it's, yeah. it's oh. surprising that a sequel was never discussed, because that's four times its budget over. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? And I think that might be just, for once, smart producers going, mm. this is, a, this is an, as we've dubbed it, an art film. <laughs> you don't mm. make sequels to art films. <laughs> you know, let's take our win and go home. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, so definitely. yeah I, I i i agree with you it's kind of surprising because usually you know those those producers see money signs in their eyes and, and and drag it through the coals to get that extra dollar but uh yeah i'm, I'm equally glad they didn't uh do that um they actually when they hired peter weir wanted the film to be funnier and less dramatic than it was in its current state um peter weir they hired him kind of because he shared that vision he loved the script but he did think it was too dark and declared uh where nickel had had it depressing he could make it light and could convince audiences that a show would this scope would have people watching it 24 7 um he then worked with the writer nickel and they produced somewhere in the range of 12 to 16 more drafts before the script was considered ready for shooting so i want to talk briefly about some of the changes very briefly. They're pretty big. <laughs> Originally, mm. Truman did not live in an idyllic utopia, you know, this soft, like, this very nice, like, sort of seaside town. Um, he originally lived in a recreation of New York City um, that was very gritty oh, wow. um, and kind of felt a bit sci-fi. And the original movie had a scene where the producers and Kristoff had arranged for a staged um, attack and assault on a woman um, that Truman witnessed but didn't help her. She was about to be... The, the words used here are, she's about to be violated, and Truman chooses to move on. And the minute he's out of Jesus. shot, the actors stop, obviously, because it wasn't real, and they discuss the fact he didn't do anything about it or help. That's in the original movie. He also has a drinking problem in the original script, um, which is crazy. Uh, they have they 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 got a little bit more on the they, they lean more into the getting Truman to impregnate Merrill stuff in that draft. Um, they had did, a bit more. Did it change? Did it change? By the time Andrew Andrew Nichols agreed to not direct it, had the script changed? No. So he he, he must was have, he was directing if, the, he was directing this movie. <laughs> I wonder if like. When he saw the finished product, he was like, that's fucking not what I wrote. <laughs> well, no, because he, he reworked on it with Weir. So Peter, oh, okay, right, so, so they brought in Peter Weir because when they interviewed other directors, Peter Weir was the one that was like, I agree with you, this should be lighter, which is what the studio right. wanted. They then made they then put him, I guess, in a room with Nicole. And between the two, they did 16 more drafts. Well, between 12 and 16 more drafts of the film before they got to the version mm. that exists now. So the, one of the reasons it's so tightly written is because it was extraordinarily like picked out as a script. It was, it was perfected. And you can tell mm. when you watch the movie. 
Um, Merrill uh, was far more aggressive in that originally draft in that original draft. Uh, sorry, no, Truman. Sorry, was far more aggressive when he confronts Merrill in the original draft. Um, and after Truman passes the door in the original draft, he does actually then meet Kristoff and the main cast members on a rooftop um, because it was obviously New York at the time. So Kristoff presumably wasn't in you know a moon. Um, and while the film's story does end with Truman exiting the fake world, the encounter on the rooftop has the actors stare at him sort of sheepishly, but then he, in rage, attacks Kristoff and tries to strangle him. <laughs> the arrest of the wow. actors hold him back, and then you see him reunited with Sylvia. So that's the original version of it. Um, and yeah, I, think the stu- I think the studio... I don't- yeah, it's not as good. I think the studio were right to say to the writer, look, we like what you- you're working on here, but it is- it's a little too dark. Here's a director who thinks he can... He has the good ideas to make it a little softer, work with him, and we'll figure it out. Uh, Peter Weir then obviously went on to write bits for this. So he wrote like a 10-page backstory that described the history of the show for his own benefit. For instance, that the Truman Show was like a frequent winner at the Emmys. <laughs> um, you know, things like that. He sort of developed his own like backstory for a lot of it, I assume, with in conjunction with the writer Andrew Nichol. Um, so um, while that was all happening, the studio were considering Robin Williams to star. But Jim Carrey was always Peter Weir's first choice to play Truman after seeing him in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Because his he thought Carrey's performance in that movie somehow reminded him of Charlie Chaplin. Um, because Carrey was a, a bit of a risk from the studio's perspective to play a dramatic role when he'd done quite broad comedy, um, he took a pay cut. He normally at that point was getting around $20 million per movie. He did this movie for 12 um, wow. as a result of, like, even he acknowledged, like, I understand you're taking a risk on, on me here, um, but I want the opportunity to prove I can do this, so I'll take the pay I'll take the pay cut. Um, so, it's yeah. because when you, when you listed, uh, when, you, when you started with the trip, obviously there's often alternative casting, and I was like, I can't think of a name that would make me go, oh, yeah, they could have done it. Um Robin Williams is probably the closest to. Oh, actually, <laughs> yeah. Robin Williams probably would have done a really good job. But yeah. I think Robin Williams, even then, I, I think Jim Carrey was exactly the right age, and Robin yeah. Williams has always looked slightly older than he was, even yeah. when he was younger. And I think, I think Robin, and I very rarely say this based on like something like looks, but I, I think Robin Williams would have probably been too old. You, well, yes, you're actually about to hit on my next piece of triv, Chris. Good, good, good work. Um, because basically, there was some concern when they cast Ed Harris as Kristoff, because he's only um, in real life he's only twelve years older than Jim Carrey. So, which would mean when Truman was born, the producer of the show was twelve. <laughs> right. So wow. that presented some issues. So what they did was heavily make up Kristoff to age him. And heavily make yeah. up Jim Carrey to de-age him, making him look closer yeah. to his, you know, his mid twenties at best. You know, whereas they were hoping to make Christoph seem like a a much much more world weary and older producer. Um, it works, but I think there was a real danger yeah. of that not working at all. They also dressed yeah, them no. that way as well, like they very intentionally gave Christoph sort of more conservative clo- clothing. You know, those wire framed glasses um they made his movements slower than the actor's actual movements they made him seem you know they, they did a lot of work basically they were very conscious constantly of making crystal seem older than the actor in question uh, they do a great job they do a good you job. don't bump up against that at all in my opinion 
Yeah, it's good. You wouldn't realize it, would you? It's pretty clever. Um, and I will say as well, that I think one of the other reasons they might have hired Peter Weir, if Robin Williams was the studio's like pick for the role, you sort of think why, one of the other reasons they may have chose um, Peter Weir as the director is that he has that relationship with Robin Williams because he did Dead, Dead Poets Society. So they might have thought Robin Williams might be eager, might be an easy sell to Robin to work with an actor they've already made a brilliant film together with. So, you know, it's... Uh, uh, yeah it might not just have been his glowing pitch for making the movie lighter that got him the job is what i'm saying Mm. um yeah so yeah um uh, funnily enough the the actual character as written for truman was supposed to be just out of high school but once jim carrey took the role and was in his 30s they kind of swapped from teenage angst to sort of more of a midlife crisis um i think it works really well though because you get the marriage stuff with meryl yeah it's it's better right it's uh, yeah Yeah. i agree and when i read that i was like it's very out it's very loosely implied, but you sort of feel like the reason they've not conceived a child yet is because you know Truman has not wanted to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, and again, another hint to like he's not committed to this relationship. It's, it's this is mm. both of them that aren't selling this. Mm. Um, the start of production was actually delayed a year so that Jim Carrey could film The Cable Guy and Liar Liar, and um. As a result, that's well. That's one of the reasons they had so much time to develop the script um, even mm. more. Um, people on the set were forbidden from uttering catchphrases from Jim Carrey's past, in quote marks, silly movies. Um, <laughs> there's no more context or detail given to that, but I could imagine him being like, "Guys, can we not like? I don't want to hear all righty thens on the set. I'm trying to do something different." <laughs> kind of makes sense yeah. to me um, yeah so apparently uh, Weir and Carey actually were initially um, struggled to work with each other when they actually got on set um, Carey's contract gave him some scope for requesting rewrites um, and uh, it was it strained the relationship early on um, but eventually Weir was kind of impressed with Carey's improvisation impro- improv- uh, improvisational skills and the two actually became um a really good team over time. Um, cool. Now, moving on to the Christoph thing. I remember earlier I said, you'll be even more impressed when I get to the triv mm. about how good Ed Harris is as Christoph. Mm-hmm. Dennis Hopper was cast as Christoph. Not nearly, was cast as Christoph and showed up on set on the first day that that character was shooting. Oh, and, wow. And walked off. Oh, wow. No detail that I could find explained why he walked off the set but for whatever reason dennis hopper did not like what was going on there was some sort of disagreement i don't know exactly i guess maybe we'll never know um but he walked off the set ed harris was then hired as a last minute replacement and had about two days to prepare between accepting the role and his first day on set wow so to help him along wow. with the character of Christoph, director peter weir presented him a 10 page biography um, part of that biography apparently he's mentioned in the past was like an element of Christoph doing like a short film uh, on a homeless person mm. which won him an award so something similar to what he ended up doing in TV you know like documenting a real human um, um, so that was a real challenge um, you know for, 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 for Ed Harris to pick that role up so quickly and, under, and learn the script so quickly and then be on set um, remarkable uh, especially it, it, it the movement more impressive thing. his performance now right <laughs> yeah especially like because like you say he he moves and 
like an old man and knowing that he had so little time to prepare for that yeah that's awesome yeah it wasn't awesome to say that, i will say though in that in the couple of days he had while figuring out how to prepare for the character ed harris did suggest giving him a hunchback <laughs> Uh, because he liked I mean, the idea of, of of Ed Harris having this unhappy childhood, and the and it would push his desire for human to have an idealized life. Uh, but they actually um, said, "Well, let's try a prosthetic then." And they put one on him, and it was deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> and he was like, Look, "Not all, no, not all ideas are good ideas, man. <laughs> they can't all be winners." <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I do find that quite funny. Um, another little interesting tidbit from this is that Ed Harris and Jim Carrey literally never met while filming this movie, <laughs> not once. I like that. I think that probably added to the performances. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm and that's what that. to in my in my ten episode The Truman Show reboot, Dan. Um, same, same thing. You wouldn't in, even let them. In which, by the to. way, the big <laughs> the big twist that you'd keep hidden from the trailers. Um, it would start with. It would start with Truman on the boat, passed out, right? And then flash back. But then the camera would pan. There's another person in the boat with Truman. Who's that? Is it the friend? Is it a brother? Who knows? But that's not what I was bringing up. Um, the second series, the final episode of the second series would be Christoph and Truman meeting face to face. Right. You've really plotted yeah. this out. You've you've invented a TV series. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, yeah. We get, let's get Paramount on the phone. See if we what else was I going to do at two AM? Sleep? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I didn't go much sleep last night either, but for for different, very different reasons. <laughs> I literally, Let's... I just, I, I, I could write you a list of things that stopped me from sleeping last night, Chris. <laughs> okay, <laughs> from a car, think, from car, a car alarms going off, my cat right. deciding he wanted to get into the cupboard. Uh, like, like, it's just honestly, I, the list on it, it's it's ridiculous how many different weird things occurred that don't normally occurred occurred mm. occur that happened on one night that made me basically get <laughs> one of the most broken up nights of sleep I've ever had. <laughs> um. Anyway, um, we were away. Oh yeah, they didn't during filming. So um. We'll power through the last section of the trivia, which is more just generic stuff about the you know about the content of the film. Uh, in the Trumania bit, where Truman draws on the mirror um, with soap and acts strange, that was apparently completely improvised by Jim Carrey. He did a few different takes. One in which he drew a long curly hair and a dress <laughs> for himself. Um, I think that's fun. Um, in an early scene, there's a bottle of vitamin D tablets on Truman and Merrill's kitchen table, which is obviously very sensible in a world where you're not exposed to any actual sunlight. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's clever. Um, according to the 2008 New York Times article, uh, psychologists in Britain... Oh, this is great. Psychologists in Britain and the US reported a number of people experiencing the Truman Syndrome or the Truman Delusion, a belief mm, that they were the this. unwitting stars of their own reality TV shows. Many um, af- uh, afflicted specifically mentioned this film in therapy uh, a couple of specific more specific examples in 2008 a psychiatrist shared he had met five schizophrenic patients and heard of another dozen who believed their lives were reality television shows one patient had actually climbed the statue of liberty believing that his high school girlfriend would be at the top to complete his storyline and was key to him being able to leave the show yeah i read about that um, another one is a more recent one and this is what's crazy i mean this is 2013 um, this details the account of an Ohio student who suffered for years from a Truman Show-like delusion. Um, he was documented 
in a New Yorker uh, magazine article called uh, Unreality Star. So if you can dig that out, I read that. It's really interesting um, and pretty tragic, actually. <laughs> it's it's really, yeah. It goes to show you, though, how, again, how convincing the world they've created here is that you go, God, that actually doesn't seem that implausible. Um, yeah, and anybody who's already suffering from any kind of mental illness would absolutely be susceptible to buying into that world and... and, and yeah, I, I totally understand how that's happened, and 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 feel feel for anybody suffering with anything re- remotely related to that. It's awful. I can't imagine how that must feel. So anyway, um, there's a deleted scene where Truman runs into a jogger that's played by the same actor as a homeless man he'd met in a wheelchair two days earlier. Um, not necessary, but it would have been fun to see that. Um, just another reason for Truman to be suspicious, I guess. Hmm. Um, the iconic poster of this film was a rendition of Jim Carrey's face comprising of hundreds of individual individual images was created by an artist called Rod Silverman sorry Rob Silverman Uh, you may have noticed listeners I've got a bit of a cold today so I am struggling (laughs) I am struggling to speak without blowing my nose every 30 seconds if I'm honest Uh, one of the other things that stopped me from sleeping last night uh, was my cold kicked in um Apparently the cost of that, or the rumoured cost of that particular piece of art, is $75,000. Um, oh, wow. Which is crazy. <laughs> um, during the film, Truman references a dream to visit Fiji, which, according to him, is the furthest place you could go before you start getting back. Um, if this was the case, then the set of The Truman Show would actually be in Timbuktu, <laughs> um, which is the opposite side of the world to Fiji. Uh, well, he gets, he gets that from um, Sylvia, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her dad yells, we're moving to Fiji. Yeah. But the whole thing about it being the opposite side of the world, it's the furthest you can go without coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that yeah. not quite true. Um, and actually, it's not in my trivia, but I did read... Obviously, his name is a is is not an accident. It's True Man, because he's the only true man. And Burbank is where the show is clearly shot. So... Mm. There you go. Um... The boat Truman sails on at the end of the movie is named the Santa Maria, which many people would know famously was the name of one of Christopher Columbus's ships uh, when he was sailing to eventually find a new world. So that's a little bit of a, you know. Mm. Um, several deleted scenes make it clear that Marlon... Oh, so yeah, several deleted scenes made it clear that Marlon actually does care about Truman and they gave him a moment of redemption where he finds him during the surge but lets him go. Now, oh, do they? Do, do we know if they interact or? They must do. If you, well, it might be like the. Uh, it might be more like that Captain Marvel scene. You know, when 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 uh, it's a silent lets him go. You know, from yeah. uh, when Nick Fury is trying to escape and um, thingy finds him, and he just sort of he, you think he's about to rat him out, and he just sort of lets him go. Um, I forget the yeah. character I'm thinking of. God, my life, my brain is dying. But he, it's. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because I kind of want that for Marlon, but also it kind of spoils Truman being vanished for a day and then reappearing on the boat. Yeah, yeah, you do. I do like yeah. that moment of if you know us and Christoph realizing he's on the boat. Yeah, and you don't. I don't think you'd yeah. get that if you'd seen him running around the town. I like the idea yeah. that his his escape plan was so flawless, no one found him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it just goes to prove exactly what Christoph said, you know, like, if he really wants to, he'll get out, and he does. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Again, so then, in, uh, in oh. a flashback in the second series of the reboot, you could show Marlon having that moment. Great. Yep, perfect. It's, it is a wonderful moment. I did want it for Marlon. I did like the idea that he would have, have, have in the end, chosen to let Truman go. 
um, and keep him there. Um, but yeah. So um, to cover cars exist, it's a Volkswagen Beetle with a dented fender. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And in the original draft of the script, the shooting script, um, it's not a lady with a flowers and a guy on a bike. It's three different cars he, he's noticed. Um, I've got that. Because I was trying to find out what it was. So I looked up the script so I could control F and find what car it was. Mm. And it was a vault. So I, when I typed indented, it brought me to it. But the actual original line is, I predict the next four cars will be a white Honda Civic, a blue and white Dodge Dart, with the front hubcap missing, a Volkswagen Beetle with a dented fender, and a motorcycle, and then those all pass. Um, they obviously adjusted that in the final shooting of the film. Um, maybe just to vary it up so it wasn't all vehicles. You know, person on a bike, person walking with flowers. Um, and then, to complete the trivia, Chris, a special, special segment, Chris. World, <laughs> world famous from today on, I tell you. Coaches exist. Oh, Great. Coaches Great. exist, Chris. Um, the coach in the movie that uh, when he tries to leave town, uh, oh, we haven't talked about any other stuff. I just very briefly before I get to that, how funny are all the attempts to make him not travel when he goes to the airport and there's, <laughs> there's a <laughs> not the airport, sorry, the 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 the, the, um, the holiday uh, the travel agent, the travel agent, yeah, it's the it's poster like with a plane it with you. A, it's, it's a picture of a plane with lightning hitting it, and it says it could be you, as if they'd put that up in a place trying to sell you air travel. It's so absurd. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. Um, I also the, like the, the I also um, like the, the bus, bus driver. driver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at, at the end of the movie, when they wanted to drive the boat, and he's like, "I'm normally the bus driver." <laughs> so yeah. good. It's so great. good. Um, it's great. Yeah. Uh, so the coach in question that they get on that doesn't go anywhere because they're not actually going to take you anywhere because they can't um a 1990 el dorado national transmark 2 sl boom coaches exist boom boom it's a good, good time trip, dan i think it was, uh, yeah it's a, it's a great movie and there's and there's so much little detail we haven't really like discussed like you know the the the, the psychological trauma of 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 killing his father to make him like how clever it is the way they emotionally manipulate the character truman like with the like psychologically yeah. scarring him about water um it, 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 i mean i could literally talk about this movie for days it's it's brilliant we'll we'll no, leave it there like, but, like I, it's amazing like i say could like is is Christopher Godfigo all the creator stuff? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he when the, he talks, the... his voice comes from the from that traditional image of God, where the clouds part and sunshine shines through. Like the imagery is is uh, yeah, he's he and, and in a way he is God. He's God in that world. He runs everything. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, the um, uh, so much. Sorry, it's like a, it's you a say psychological brilliant. things about control. There's just so mm-hmm. yeah. You could do you could do six podcasts on it. It's nuts. Yeah, it's it's wonderful, and uh, and and to reiterate, an absolute recommend. Um, I'd be sad if you haven't seen it and you've listened to all this podcast because I feel like we'd have spoiled a lot of the best elements of the film for you. But still, you should go watch it if you and if you haven't watched it in a few years, it's on Netflix in the UK. I don't know how you where it what what, what its availability is outside of the UK, but it's on Netflix in the UK. If you're in the UK, there's really no excuse, especially if you've never seen it. Just, just whack it on; it's great, wonderful. I'm just looking up whether there's like on Amazon whether there's like a book about it because it wouldn't surprise me if like it's, oh it's like like that play, like the book but... I read like the book that the that I read when we did Groundhog Day well no more like the psychological or more like analyzing oh, it, more yeah. analytical but it seems there's the Truman Show an original screenplay and then the Truman Show the shooting script 
Mm. I wonder, no, there's no way the original screenplay is the dark one, is it, that you were talking about? I doubt it. I don't know. doesn't say in the reviews. Hmm. So, anyway, um, cool. Patreon question of the week, Chris. So we ask our patrons if they to ask us an arbitrary question not related to anything often one we're unequipped to answer would be the ideal um, if you want to ask a question yourself you head over to patreon.com slash nothing but static um, you can give us as little as one dollar a month which will give you the power to ask us a question um, and we'll we'll hopefully get to them as over time um, across these podcasts both this and the Analyzing Avatar podcast um, now one of our patrons asked us a couple of questions so we'll quick fire I've, I've sort of eliminated I've, I, because there's so many I've eliminated a couple of I've just I, I'm going to highlight a quick fire a couple of the questions. Um, okay, because there was there was a few. So we're answering these quick fire. So quick fire, and I'll and I'll ask cool. them to you, Chris, and you can give me the answer. SMTV Live okay. or Live and Kicking? Uh, SMTV Live is the better show, but if I'm being completely honest, for my childhood, it was Live and Kicking. Really? Yeah, no, I'm SMTV all the way. I did like Live and Kicking until SMTV came along and blew it out of the water. Um, SMTV is the better show. I just so so head SMTV heart Live and Kicking. Gotcha. Rugrats or Pokemon? Rugrats. Yeah, I I think as well for me Rugrats. Pokemon I did love, but for the games more than the show. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Maid Marian and her Merry Men or Woof. I uh, didn't watch either, so I'm going to say Woof. Yeah, Woof was the better show. I loved Woof so much. <laughs> I absolutely loved Woof. That show was bonkers. It was about a boy who could turn into a dog, and he got into scrapes and adventures. It was ridiculous. Just a stupid show. I've uh, Speaking of shows like that, I've honestly thought about getting BritBox just to rewatch Bernard's Watch. <laughs> yeah, I, always, I sometimes think that about shows like um, um, Out of Tune. Aquila. Yeah, Aquila, yes, out, of tune. out of tune. The Queen's Nose. Love yeah. some of these old British shitty TV shows. And there was an Australian one we got imported over here called Round the Twist, which it yes. just was. Have you ever, have you ever felt, felt like, like this? Hey, hey. When strange things, strange things happening, you going, going round the twist. twist? Yeah, and then it's uh, just that whole thing of Have you heard the word about the bird and the spider? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, um, look up the intro to that really weird Australian show about a family that lives in a lighthouse. I think weird. <laughs> anyway, last quick fire question uh, from Oh, I didn't say the username. That Jackie one. Sorry, the whole point of this is that you get a shout out. I'm very sorry, Jackie. Um, that Thank Jackie you for your one. support. Last one, Timmy Maller or Roland Rat? Uh, it's Roland Rat for me. <laughs> Where are you at, Chris? I'll go Timmy Maller just because I can picture him and I can't picture Roland Rat. <laughs> fair. That's fair. I did like Timmy Maller, but no, I'm all about Roland Rat. Um, cool. I also like that. Was that what was that duck? There was like a, was it Orville? Yeah, Orville. I think Orville no, Bird. Was Orville like? No, it was Orville. I think. Yeah, he was like a green duck. I've just looked him up. Orville the duck. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Beautiful. I, he, I, I mean, if he'd have been in there, he'd have been my choice. Or whichever one Brian Connolly used to bring on and then beat up with a mallet. <laughs> and everyone would go, oh, and he goes, it's a puppy. <laughs> I think that was Orville, wasn't it? I don't know. No, Brian Connolly didn't beat up Orville. It was like a gopher type thing. It wasn't Gordon the Gopher, but it was kind of m- uh, mimicked on him. Gordon the Gopher was fun too. God, do you remember when that era of kids TV where it was just like every show had a puppet? Like zig and yeah, zag, and like every show had a presenter that was a puppet. Yeah, weird. Um, I guess that's why SMTV felt quite fresh. I guess because <laughs> it Apparently, stepped away oh, here from we go, that. Chortle here, 
What was the name of Brian Connolly's puppet? Oh, there's no... I can't see the answer. Anyway, oh. yeah, carry on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that. That bit was brilliant because it was such a play on, like, your emotions because it knew that you'd feel it's a cute little puppet and then it would say something that would annoy him and he'd just do something so violent to it and then point out that your affection for the puppet was ridiculously misplaced. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a simple gag, but it was very good. Anyway, thanks for your questions, the, that Jackie one. Uh, we appreciate yes. it. Again, listeners, if you'd like to either get episodes of this uh, and our Avatar podcast a week early or ask us a question, as Jackie just did, you may do so at the Patreon page, which I've already given you, but I will give it again, patreon.com slash nothing but static. We appreciate it. Um, so uh, other bits, I think there's other bits, isn't there? Oh yeah, Twitter at Dan Doolan at C Billingham for Chris uh, with two M's. Uh, you can get us on YouTube if you want to hear, if you want to, you know, see some of our content with uh, very little visual elements. You can do that at YouTube.com/slash Nothing But Static UK. You can subscribe; that helps us out um, and like some of the videos if you'd like. Um, obviously, if you're not already listening to our main podcast, Nothing But Static, which is a, a, a sort of every two weeks, every fortnight, uh, we do a, a TV discussion where we review a show or two and do some TV news and then do some recommendations. So if you want to hear us talk about that, you can do. Um, there's also our back catalogue, which involves a show where we break down every episode of Fringe, the TV show Fringe, and Steven University, where we break down every episode of Steven Universe. Um, oh, yeah, and of course, there's, there's the very short run one we did on... Um, um, over the garden, uh, over the garden wall, which is also a wonderful show, and of course the short run we did on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is on YouTube. Yeah, so I still don't know what we're going to do because my original plan was to work some of those into seasons of this, but I just don't—they don't really fit. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you, it, 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 the inspiration for this very podcast was when we, as a joke on our Stephen University podcast, said we were going to do Honey, We Shrunk MBS or whatever we called it. Um, honey, I shrunk nothing but static. Honey, we shrunk. Honey, uh, where we, we shrunk. were going to review. Honey, we shrunk. Honey, we shrunk nothing but static. Woo. That was Chris's theme from that show. It was a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so we did five episodes where we reviewed all three movies: uh, the ride and the, the bonkers <laughs> TV show they made of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, we'll probably do one day an extra episode of that when Shrunk finally comes out. Um, and mm, review definitely. shrunk. I, I I think doing another honey. I shrunk nothing but static would be a would be a good idea. It'd be fun. We'll so we do that when when shrunk comes out. We will put them on the rewind reviews themes as bonus episodes, and then do shrunk. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Yeah, that's a good that's that's a good idea. So yeah, maybe around the time of of, of honey I shrunk. Uh, sorry, no shrunk. The honey I shrunk sequel comes out. We'll we'll do that. But um, mm. so yeah, you can check those out. So yeah, that's I think that's everything. Uh, oh, you can email us if if you'd like to send us a little comment. You obviously comment on the YouTube channel if you need to send if you want to send us a little comment on what we said today. Um, but you're also welcome to mail us at, mail at nothing but static. Uh, we appreciate your thoughts. We don't always get back to everyone. I try, but I'm I'm bad at it. Um, <laughs> if I'm honest, I like reading them, but I'm terrible at replying to them uh, because the thing is it's normally that people are responding to something I've said on the podcast so they're responding or you've said on the podcast or we, we've agreed on, on the, whatever you know something we've said so they're responding to that and all I can do in response a lot of the time is say what I already said on the podcast probably yeah better <laughs> than I would type yeah. it out in a few minutes so I always feel bad um, so yeah but thank you everyone whoever does that we, we do get some really funny emails as well um uh, you know uh, 
Yeah, we're very grateful for anyone taking the time to to write in and, and comment and stuff. Thank yeah, you very we much. appreciate that. We do appreciate that. So, oh yeah, yeah. I guess the other way you could support us is if you have your podcast platform of choice available. Um, most of them allow you to rate and review podcasts in app. Um, it's different systems, obviously. Stars, thumbs up, whatever you know. Each podcast platform uses, but any uh, reviews, stars, likes, things like that, you can do. Um, for us on those platforms does help push us up the sort of algorithm as it were um, and allows us to be seen by more people so we'd appreciate that too but yeah I think that's god oh no we have no we got one more thing to do Chris well I'm wrapping us up we haven't even figured out what the next movie is yet I mean I've been waiting for you to realize that (laughs) you know what's funny when I started doing the Patreon stuff I went I think we've missed a segment and I was like but I can't think no, I, we must. This must be where we're at. Holy shit, Chris! What are we I watching? I was really next hoping week? it would get as far as you going. Well, that's everything, and me going. Well, apart from the fact that we said what we're watching next, I was so. You know what it was? I was so determined. I felt yesterday. I was worried yesterday. We recorded the previous episode just a day ago. For those listening, um, I was really worried it was too rambly an ending. I was like, I'll try and be more succinct today. Um, I ended up covering more. I stuff I can see what happened because we did. We did Patreon, and you you launched, you used Patreon as a bridge to <laughs> yeah. support us, wrap up, etc. So I can see why it happened. Don't worry. <laughs> what an idiot! So Chris, what are we watching next week? It's your choice. Um, what, well, the what, sort of the it is my choice, and the sort of the mini brief that I was sort of given at the end of the last episode. Um, and I don't, we shouldn't get into the habit of that because the choices should be more organic. Than yeah, this. it wasn't a brief. It wasn't a brief. It was just I was I was expecting to be surprised. I didn't. It, it, you should. Yeah. You shouldn't have needed to feel. You shouldn't have felt the need to do that. <laughs> But I did, I did. I felt I, I went in with the, to this with the challenge of pick a choice that's going to surprise Dan for for some reason, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that was my brief. Yeah. So I've chosen that next week my choice we're going to watch Battle Royale. I I'm speechless right now, Chris, for a different reason than I think you think. No, no, no. I know exactly why you're speechless. <laughs> The surprise is, I've nicked your choice from next week. Oh, you looked at the document, didn't you? Well, what happened, Dan, was <laughs> I went onto the document to see what day my next, this, <laughs> the next episode would be released. Because I was like, maybe I can find a film that, that was released on that day. And you'd put in your choice. So I was like, well, fuck it, I'm going to surprise him. I'll just nick his choice. That'll be fairly surprising. I didn't think you ever looked at that document. <laughs> and clearly, <laughs> but I was like, because I literally was like, because I Googled and there were no decent films from May. And I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll just nick his choice. That'll be surprising. <laughs> and it worked. You were speechless. There you go. Yeah. So you'll have also seen my potential choice for the for the final of the series. Yes, but to be fair, you've put a question mark by Yeah, that, I so wasn't sure. I, but I... Oh, yeah. you're a bastard. I'm so glad you didn't check that sooner than this week, because I think I also had the Truman Show in there, <laughs> like, a few weeks back. Oh. You say I'm a bastard. Like, the document is a shared document in a folder we share. Like, yeah, I'm but, not... like, I organise all that shit. You never look at that stuff. Well, that's not... But, yeah, but you can't... You, I've not done anything sneaky. Like, I no, I know. I I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. It's my fault entirely. But to my, in my defence, you never look at that document. <laughs> no, I don't. But I did this week. 
All right, so you should, I admit, explain, though, Dan, should Surpri- I explain why Sur- I was choosing Battle Royale next week? It's a surprising choice, wasn't it? You were I have never been so surprised in my entire life. <laughs> because, first of all, I pretty sure I was pretty sure you'd never heard of that film. <laughs> no, 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 of course I've heard of Battle Royale. Right, right. Um, Even uh, more surprising is I went through to Jess and I went... I say I explained. I went. I went on the spreadsheet to see what the date is and see if I could find an anniversary. And Dan's next choice is on there, so I think I might just choose that. And she was like, "That's genius." And I was like, "She said, what's the film?" And I said, "Battle Royale." And she went, "Oh, that's quite a brutal watch." And I went, "You've seen it?" <laughs> she went, "Yeah." So I found that quite surprising that Jess had already seen it. It's a great film. Now, uh, to briefly explain, a few weeks ago we were talking about horror films. And we talked about uh, Final Destination, and I sort of said by the time, like, I don't know if I saw Final Destination, like, when it came out. I was probably sort of, you know, a year or two later. And by that point, I, I think I'd already seen, I, I, I'd gone down a horror rabbit hole. You know, I'd seen a lot of more extreme films, more true horror films, less so- softly done ones. Um, and one of the films I was thinking of that had been sort of, and I we also talked about this in in the context of, uh, when we talked about Kevin and Perry Go Large, it's one of those films that we absolutely shouldn't have been seeing because I was far too young, but it was passed around my school on VHS or DVD. One kid had got it, and he literally, one by one, lent it to every other kid, and we all watched it you know, at home in secret when our parents weren't around, and then sneakily brought it back into school and exchanged it. That, I don't know if it was a VHS or a DVD, I, I can't remember. Probably, I assume DVD, looking at the timing, but... That DVD, whatever it was, genuinely must have been seen by a hundred kids, because it, it felt like it took all year for it, it, it to to get round to everyone. It just it just constantly was changing hands. I watched it change hands dozens of times. Yeah, um, I'll name him. I'll give him a shout out. Tom Wilcox. Hey, good, Tom, good job, Tom. He he. I, th- I believe it was his copy. And he shared it round. Um, also, the guy responsible for getting me into um, my, my whole taste in music. Because uh, a lot of my taste in music comes back to the first time I heard Offspring's Americana. And that was Tom too. So ah, <laughs> he, gets well th- Tom. he gets two thumbs up from me for, for being a big influence on, on many of my tastes. But yeah, Battle Royale was a really shocking film to watch as a, as a young mm. person. I look forward um, to watching it. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you... you no, I've never seen it, but of course I've heard of it because it comes up. It comes up in like nearly every conversation about the Hunger Games. Which, so yeah, because because it because it, it came first and was better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, I don't think I've seen. There's a part of me that wonders whether, like, on a there's a part of me that thinks have I, but I don't think I have. Um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to watch it, and uh, I'm <sighs> glad I'm glad my choice surprised you, Dan. Surprised does not cover it. Like, I am genuinely, like, <laughs> I can't believe, when you said it, I was so, fu- like, unbelievably blown. <laughs> My backup choice was um, the boy band con, the Lou Pearlman story, which is a documentary about the guy who conned Sync and the Backstreet Boys. Um, I've never seen it, and it's a recent film on YouTube, but YouTube Premium. But uh, no, I thought Battle. Well, that would have been that would have been a surprising choice because it kind of doesn't break the rules as such because we've never established like outright rules, but it does sort of go against the idea of this being about like older films. Um, Well, my my logic my logic around that would have been that there is a childhood affinity to boy bands. 
Right, right. Yes, yeah. So yeah, I did. A... I did have an argument, but um, that was nowhere near as fun as the idea of unknowingly stealing you. Was my rea- you did my reaction satisfy? Are you pleased with it? Yeah. What, you... <laughs> what I love is you didn't because you. What you, I was what you so detected... confident. I was so confident you hadn't checked the document, Chris. That my first thought was not that you'd yeah. read the fucking document. My yeah. first thought Your was first... that you'd somehow accidentally usurp me a week early. Yeah, you said I'm shocked. For, I'm shocked for a different reason to the one you're thinking. So I just love that. Like literally, your first thought wasn't he checked the document and his nick the choice. <laughs> it was he stumbled across it. And to be fair, if I'd have sat down and really, really thought about it, I think I could have got to Battle Royale from the clues because I knew it was the film that got passed around. So you know what I mean. I, I and you knew it was a I horror film. Have, you knew the era. Yeah, I could have got there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was. Uh, it it wasn't. I didn't get there. I absolutely looked at the document. But yeah, I do love that. Like oh, your first thought wasn't the logical. He that the says how confident I was. You weren't checking that fucking document. That's that is that is. Wow. I don't check it. I don't check it regularly. I check. I like. I say. I checked it to check the date to Did see it... if I could find a. You know, this film was released nine years ago on the day this comes out. So, sort of thing. It feels like um, I'm getting a bonus choice this series. Now, so I feel like next week I should choose a film I think you want to choose. <laughs> I did think that I did. I was going to suggest, but again, I didn't want to do too much of um, messing around with our know, picking. But I did. I did think. I did think maybe I'll set you the challenge of picking a film that that I would have chose that I could have chosen. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep that in mind for next week because I just I yeah, just feel a bit a imbalanced film... now because one of your choices has become a film that's got my affinity to my childhood, whereas normally the next film would be one that has you know it's connected to yours. Um, sometimes we do yeah, things that are both, of, but like probably not battle, probably not battle royale because I've not seen it. But there's absolutely a word. If you'd have if you'd have said to me, oh, man, there's I... a whole bunch of films. If you'd have show if you'd have said to me next year you you'll discuss you know last year oh for the next season you'll do the Truman Show, that could have been you or I picking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Yeah, holy shit, dude. (laughs) I can't remember the last time I was that surprised. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, I think we all need to just give Chris a round of applause for that. Oh, man, I bet the silence that followed you saying that was deafening to listeners. (laughs) That was so funny. I was reveling in it. Anyway, I'm desperate to pee. So, and we've done the wrap up. So, we'll see you next week for Battle Royale. Yeah, I've been Chris Billingham. I've been Dan Billingham. And this review has been rewound. Beautifully done, Chris. Slick. Boom, done.